Want to make your own podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Jaguar Report podcast. I'm your host, John Shipley, along with my co-host, Gus Logue. Gus, how you doing today, man? I'm awesome, man. How you doing? I'm, d- I'm doing good. I'm, uh, the bye week went ahead and recharged my batteries, did everything I needed. And now, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm back in the swing of things now. You know, it's Thursday by this one. It's already been kind of kind of a weird, <laughs> weird week. You know, we went from Minshew mania to Luden hysteria, so... Obviously, you know, Jaguar is going to have a new starting quarterback this Sunday. Jake Luton, the rookie six-round pick, will start against the Houston Texans as a result of Gardner Minshew's thumb injury. Gus, real quick, just give me your reaction when Doug Marone laid out that he was picking Luton over Mike Lennon to start against Houston. Uh, my immediate reaction was... Not surprising, I guess, would be like the one word to describe it, just because it really does make sense picking a seven-year veteran or however many years uh, Glennon's been in the league over a six-round rookie, especially considering the last six-round rookie that Jacksonville picked worked out pretty well for them. Is I know that you've kind of hammered this home, cause, but even if Gardner isn't really the franchise guy, he's still been a huge return on investment for a six-round pick, which shouldn't be forgotten. And so that kind of makes sense that a, the Jaguars want to go to another six-round pick since they had so much success with their last one, and B, giving someone experience or giving someone a chance that they haven't really seen before. Ludden hasn't played in an NFL snap, including preseason because of COVID, and we already kind of know what Glennon is, which is not a very good quarterback. So it's unlikely that Ludden will be even on Gardner's level, to be honest, but I think it's definitely wise giving him a chance. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think the fact that the Jaguars are one and six as opposed to, you know, maybe like three and four probably plays a big part as well. If the Jaguars were closer to 500, I do think Marone would probably go with Glennon just because he's a veteran. But I mean, you're sitting at one and six. What really is the point of playing uh, Mike Glennon? Like you said, uh, you know, dude's made over 20 starts uh, in his career. You know, he's won six, I believe, of them, six of the 22. So he is what he is at this point. We've seen two different teams trying to make try to make him like the guy, and that didn't work. So, hey, he's a journeyman backup. It's a good gig if you can get it. Uh, you know, salute to Mike Lennon for that. But I mean, it makes me kind of wonder, like, really, what was the point of even adding a veteran quarterback this offseason? If you know, when things kind of go off the rails with Minshew, obviously it's due to injury in this case. Turn to the rookie instead. I had always thought that. Uh, Glennon was signed as a veteran just in case, I guess, Marone and Jake Gruden kind of got sick of the whole young quarterback problem. But at this point, it kind of seems like Glennon was literally just signed to hold a clipboard until they felt like Luton was ready to be active on game day. Is that kind of how you see it? I think COVID has a little bit of an impact just because, like, ideal, like you need kind of quarterback depth this year. And there's also been, not just for COVID, but there's also been so many injuries this year as well. And so I think Glenn is more of just like a backup backup insurance policy than anything else. But 
as you said, and it was a good point about the fact that the fact that the Jaguars are one in six, because maybe if they were had a winning record or even a five hundred record, then they would change to Glennon instead. But yeah, it's yeah, never really makes sense honestly yeah. to not go to Glennon. Yeah, no, and and uh, I I got the sense when uh, Marone talked on Monday that it wasn't even really a consideration. I mean, Marone said outright that he's seen a lot of Glennon and he hasn't seen a lot of Luton, so. Uh, Sunday will tell. Gus, I want to get your thoughts on this. I thought we'll obviously talk about uh, Luden and his prospects against the Texans, but I want to talk about uh, two things with Gardner first. One of them was I thought the most interesting thing from Marone's press conference on Monday and maybe the most revealing thing about how the team sees Gardner in the quarterback room is he wouldn't commit to Gardner being the quarterback again, you know, when healthy, when recovered. The options over him are a six-round rookie who has never played an NFL snap even preseason, and Mike Glennon. So that that just kind of tells me that their confidence level in Minshew isn't really that high because, I mean, it seems clear to me, at least in my eyes, that if Luden plays well this week or over the next couple weeks, however long he starts, that until he plays poorly, he's going to be the quarterback. That's at least the way I see it. It, do, you, do you think I'm reading too much into that, or do you think there's credence to the point that if the Jaguars aren't, like, you know, rushing to get Minshew back on the field when healthy, maybe they're not as high on him as maybe some people think? I definitely agree with that, because that was, that was kind of my question, too, is I know that Minshew will be inactive for this week, but it's not like he was placed on short-term IR, and they never really, like, even announced a timetable for it, I feel like, for when he could return. Yeah, he said and there's so, no timetable. Right, so definitely. Seems like more of a like obviously he has an injury, but at the same time it seems like more of a team decision of when to get him back onto the field. So I agree with your point that Lawton will probably be given a chance, and if he's mediocre, then he'll probably continue to get chances. But if he's horrific against the Texans this week, then maybe they'll just go back to Minshew. Yeah, no, I, I I'd agree with that. I I think they probably are thinking more along the lines of you know, uh we. We have, uh, I think Minshew's made close to 20 starts on his NFL career now. You know, that's that's maybe not a ton comparatively, you know, to a lot of quarterbacks and, and a young quarterback's development, but they more or less kind of know what he is now. And um, I'm sure you know this, uh, Football Outsiders uh, 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 owner, editor, whatever you want to call him, Aaron Schatz, he's always been a big proponent of basically what you see in a quarterback's first two years of playing will tell you, you know, what what you're going to get out of him if he's not at least uh, uh basically average or above average after two seasons of playing and starting chances are you know he's not going to be there's a few outliers like you know Troy Aikman uh I kind of want to say Josh Allen but he's kind of stunk over the last month so I'm not going to fully commit to that bit yet but I'll lean into it a little bit Damn. yeah <laughs> but I mean and I think there's credence to that point and I think you know maybe at this point you know, Minshew maybe just is who he is, and they think it's more worthwhile to do exploring in other areas. But I do think it's worth making clear that uh, I, I saw a few things, you know, suggesting, uh, you know, from national outlets, that type of thing. People that, you know, aren't aren't really uh, boots on the ground in Jacksonville, you know, kind of assuming or thinking the Jaguars are sitting Minshew and using the thumb as an excuse. I can confidently say that's not the case at all. You know, dude has a legitimate injury. It happened at an unfortunate time because the Jaguars, you know, were having issues at the position. 
But I think for all those people that are thinking they're sitting him with a fake injury or anything like that, I think that's foolish. He definitely has an injury. But like you said, any timetable is undetermined. All right, guys, there's one other thing, and we, we talked about this a little bit last episode, but I wrote a column on it on Jaguar Report this week because of, I mean, we got Marone's reaction on Monday to uh, Minshew essentially not disclosing his injury for a few weeks. Marone had said, like, you know, he understands the competitiveness and he understands why Minshew did it, but on the other hand, you know, he felt some frustration. If you're a player in that locker room or a coach on the sideline, how frustrated are you with that? Because from where I'm sitting, I think it's perfectly understandable for, you know, Minshew to try to tough it out, especially at the quarterback position. Uh, you're a former six-round pick. You never, you know, you never know when you're going to get another chance, et cetera, et cetera. But I also think Marone's frustration and any potential frustration from the Jaguars is more than valid as well. More than valid, not invalid, more than valid, yeah. It's definitely kind of like a point of view kind of thing because if I was in that locker room as a fellow six-round player, probably doesn't have a great chance of being anything in the NFL. Honestly, I would strongly consider doing something similar where even if I had a minor injury, I would try to play through it just for the sake of trying to continue my NFL dream. Like, that's understandable. At the same time, as a coach or just in general, it's definitely kind of a broken trust when that happens. And it's also especially frustrating when the team is one and six and has lost six games in a row. And Minshew hasn't deserved any wins, but he also hasn't been like the main factor of losing. It's mostly been the defense, most likely. Yeah. But the the fact that they've they're one and six right now doesn't make that decision any easier. And so yeah. maybe it would be different if they were five hundred or have a winning record. And then he came out and said, "Oh, my hand has been impacting my games." Man, can you imagine the Jaguars were at 500 and the starting quarterback got hurt? <laughs> Just the outcry from the fan base. I, I, I love Jaguars fans. Feel for them on every level. But I can just – I mean, just because of how bad the Jaguars have been over the last decade or so, I think the last time the Jaguars were a successful team and had a quarterback get hurt was Byron Leftwich, And when Gerard took over for him, yeah, that, that, is, that is something. You know, Gus, I, I, yesterday I looked at, and I'm going to do an article for it before Sunday, but I looked at all the rookie quarterbacks the Jaguars have started before. Uh, you know, obviously Mark Brunel wasn't that experienced when he got his first start with the Jaguars, but he wasn't a rookie. So I was just looking at rookie debuts. The Jaguars have started five rookie quarterbacks in their debuts, Leftwich, Garrard, Blaine Gabbert, Blake Bortles, and Gardner Minshew. Do you think any of those guys won their NFL debut? No, <laughs> nobody, no, uh, no, no. Even even Gerard got uh, blown out in his. I think I okay. I know Minshew came the closest because they only lost by one. And I know digging up old things that literally don't matter at this point. But the Jaguars did get robbed in Week Two in Houston last year because Leonard two point one yards per carry for net was in the end zone on that two point conversion. But nonetheless. Minshew came the closest, and then Blaine Gabbert was the second closest. I didn't see that coming. So if Luton wins on Sunday against the Texans, he'll be the first Jaguars rookie quarterback to ever win his debut. That that is that is wild to me. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, they've drafted several quarterbacks in the first. They've drafted what is it, three quarterbacks in the first round in their team history, and Luton, a six-round pick, could be their first uh, guy to win his rookie debut, and. The closest guy to win the rookie debut has been Minshew, another six-round pick. 
I mean, Gus, when you look at their history of rookie quarterbacks and just their history of quarterbacks in general since Brunel, I mean, is it a player? Is it a quarterback problem? Like they're picking the like bad players? Is it they have they've had the wrong people picking players, or do you think it's a little bit of kind of the situation in Jacksonville where like quarterbacks just can't thrive? Or do you think it's a little bit of everything? Because personally, I think it's a little bit of everything. I was going to say a little bit of everything. It's probably – a lot of it's a situation where, for, like, for example, Minshew, he's not really franchise quarterback material, but at the same time he never really had a great chance on a losing team with poor weapons and poor offensive line, et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of been the same story for the past decade plus. But at the same time, the decision makers obviously haven't made – great decisions at quarterback like it's not like people like Blaine Gabber and Blake Bortles have gone on to have successful careers on the second team or anything like that they're just straight quarterback to be honest and that they're at best backups and so I think the biggest thing is probably decision makers I would say just choosing prospects but there's definitely a ton of different factors that go into it yeah, I, I agree. And I think the quarterback position in general, it's so volatile and so many factors go into it that it's rarely one thing or another why a guy fails. But I think a good kind of illustration of where Jacksonville's quarterback evaluation has been, at least in the last decade or so, quarterback that they selected third overall in 2014, Blake Bortles, fast forward six years, and he is on the practice squad of the Denver Broncos behind Brett Ripien and Drew Locke. I mean, that's the dude they spent the third overall pick on can't even get on an active roster for <laughs> Brett Ripien, man. That just kind of illustrates to you, you know, kind of the downfalls of the quarterback evaluations in Jacksonville. Though I would like to point out, you know, like we said earlier, that, you know, Gardner, even though he's kind of lumped in that group, I still consider him a win in terms of both the draft pick. And I, I personally, I, I think the Jaguars deserve some maybe credit for developing him because I think, Considering what we saw from him in his first start and in the preseason that he played, I think he's actually, you know, they've developed him a decent bit for a six-round pick. Would you agree with that? 100%. And evaluating quarterbacks is a very difficult job, and there's only a handful of franchise quarterbacks in the world. And so it's even though Jaguars should get some blame for not having successful quarterbacks since Bernard or Grenard, it is a difficult task. Um, and I definitely agree that, as we've said, Minshew was a huge return on investment, and he did better than anyone could have expected. And so that should, even though everyone kind of looks to him as whether or not he can be the next franchise quarterback, yeah, the answer to that is basically no. Like the another, like it's kind of a point of view question because you could also look at it, see was he a return on investment, how good is he as a sixth round draft pick, et cetera, et cetera. And so by those like lower standards, which should be the standards for him. He's exceeded them, and the Jaguars should get some credit for that. And so it'll be interesting to see what what his future kind of holds in 2021 and beyond. I'm really interested to, to see what happens with him. And I also think it needs to be said that even though Minshew has kind of, you know, not taken that next step. And, I mean, Gus, you yourself predicted, you know, over the summer that, you know, the season would kind of play out like this with him. But I still do not think that a ton of criticism should be thrown their way and coming from me I think that says a lot because I, I criticize them a decent bit I mean you're one in six last place you get criticized but I don't think a lot of criticism should get thrown their way for given Minshew 2020 and the reason I say that is because I think 
they were going to be bad no matter what. You know, no matter what investment they made at quarterback this offseason, they were going to be bad. So I think they saw it as it's already kind of, you know, a wasted year. This guy's already surpassed our expectations. Let's just give him the chance. And this year, that's already going to be basically a losing year. And, you know, see if he can continue to exceed those expectations. And I think the only time it can start negatively impacting the Jaguars is if they could keep committing to him after this season. Does, does that make sense to you? Like if they double down on it. You were saying earlier about how like Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders says you kind of need two years to decide how a quarterback is. And along those lines, I'm pretty sure he and Football Outsiders also have done research on like quarterbacks' rookie performance versus the rest of their, their career. And rookies or quarterbacks tend to take the biggest jump in efficiency slash production from their rookie year to their second year more than any other like two-year gap. And so even though Minshew was – he, he did go six and six, but by efficiency standards, he was below average in just about every efficiency metric. And so it was worth giving him another year. And I think that was definitely the right call. Yeah. But if they give him another, another year in yeah. 2021 somehow, then that's definitely a mistake. Yeah. No, I, I, I think we're on the same page here. And I think it also needs to be considered that there wasn't exactly, you know, a good I mean there was a good quarterback market I feel like just because guys like Cam Newton and Jameis Winston are more valuable than most free agent quarterbacks you know you're going to see but they're not going to lead the Jaguars into the future either so I I understood why they didn't do that and also picking at number nine I saw uh, some national writer kind of slam them for not trading up for a quarterback but my kind of thing with that is I don't think you can criticize teams for not trading up or not trading back unless you know that they basically actively tried and shot themselves in the foot like for all we know maybe they did try to trade up and there was just you know teams didn't want to give up their position because we saw three quarterbacks get picked before them so that's kind of my whole spiel I'm with you I think it was the right call given Minshew this season but moving into next season it's pretty obvious that they need to look forward and one part of that looking forward could be Jake Luden uh, Luden obviously, you know, had a really successful final year at Oregon State. He's a guy that spent six years playing in the collegiate level, you know, played, I think it was at three different schools. I don't think you could find it like a guy that's more stylistically different from Minshew. After, you know, I watched a good bit of his uh, senior year at Oregon State. He doesn't like, other than maybe some conservativeness and, and like the way they think, I don't think there's much similar to them at all. Would you agree with that, Gus? But based on the draft reports I've seen, it's uh, the draft reports have actually been kind of similar just because it, all the things that I've read have said that Lund is really conservative and doesn't throw into tight windows and it's quick to check down. And so what did you see on tape that made you think that he's different? The things I saw on tape that made me think he was different was, number one, mobility. Uh, Gardner, his greatest blessing and his greatest curse is his feet. You know, he's not a Kyler Murray type athlete, uh, but he's more athletic than, you know, a statuesque quarterback like uh, Nick Foles or whoever else. I think Luton is much closer to being uh, Foles level of mobility than he is to Minshew behind a porous offensive line at, at times. That could be a pretty big concern. And then I also I think he has a more impressive uh, arm. I think his arm pops off the tape a lot more. I think in terms of distance, Minshew can, you know, throw the ball as you need, but the velocity just isn't there a lot of times on deep throws. Uh, with Luton, I saw him, he could throw a few frozen ropes, 
But with that said, he needed the protection up front. He wasn't able to play from a muddied pocket. But basically those two things, I think he's much closer to being immobile. And I think he's a guy who might be more – not even willing to throw downfield, but more equipped to do so, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I'd almost be curious to watch Gardner Minshew if he wasn't mobile, just because there's so many plays when he exits the pocket too quickly. He'll basically look at his first read, and it won't be open. And then he'll realize that one of his four, one of his five offensive linemen is getting pushed back a little bit. So he'll just sprint out to the right and kind of turn it into a broken play. And so I almost wonder that if he wasn't mobile and if he had Nick Foles' mobility, as you said, if like he would just kind of stay in hang tough in the pocket more often and kind of deliver more throws downfield rather than opting for all the scrambles and check downs. No, man, would... I, I think that's a fair point. And but... you, you honestly, you reminded me of the third difference between Lund and Minshew that it's super cliche, but uh, Lund's a lot taller. <laughs> Lund's a uh, six foot six. Uh, I believe Gardner's listed around six foot one. I think that's closer in reality to being around six foot. So Loon's a much bigger presence presence at quarterback. I, I personally don't think that matters a ton, but there are some in the football community who think, you know, being taller can make it easier to scan the field, especially over the offensive linemen. Gruden, I, Jay Gruden actually said something yesterday to the point where, you know, his size helps him, you know, basically read the field. I think Mike Glennon, Blake Bortles, et cetera, would disagree with that to a point. But <laughs> I, I, other than that, I think, you know, like you said, they're similar guys. They're both uh, conservative. I think people think Minshew's aggressive just because of his, I guess, his, uh, his skill set in terms of how he moves around a lot. But he, he doesn't – he'd rather take the check down more often than not. You know, there's a reason James Robinson's one of the most targeted players on the team. All right. Gus, just from what you know of Luden, uh, I'm going to give my expectations. But first, I want to hear, what are your expectations for Sunday against Houston? Factoring in, of course, uh, Houston's defense that isn't very good and just what the Jaguars have around Luden. Like, what are you expecting to see from him? And maybe what are you expecting to see from Gruden in terms of strategy? Um, I'm almost expecting a poor man's Minshew only because I'm afraid Luton is going to be really conservative and he's going to, he won't scramble as much as Gardner just because as we've said, as we've said, he's less mobile, but I feel like James Robinson could easily lead the team in targets and it'll be interesting to see what Gruden does with the offense with a bye week and a quarterback change because as he, or as mostly Marone has said, they're going to quote unquote look at some things and maybe change some things. We don't really know what that means, but I don't, I'll expect maybe some like, a couple of Visca Chenault runs or maybe a couple deep play action shots. But other than a couple like big plays or trick plays and things like that, I wouldn't expect the scheme of the offense to change that much with a six round rookie making his NFL debut. And so my expectations is that it's not going to look that much different than it has the, for the first half of the season. And just going to be conservative from the quarterback and not much offensive production. Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely fair. I'm going to throw out a few. Uh, all right, over under 120 passing yards from Luton. Yeah, I th- I'll, I'll take the over. Okay, uh, over under 20 pass attempts. Oh. Okay, uh, over under, uh, let's go six yards per attempt. And that's just flat yards per attempt, not adjusted or anything like that. 
I would think of the overs for all of the um, like total or cumulative stats or props or whatever, just because like the, the Jags, volume type stuff. Right, because the Jaguars rank last in time of possession when leading, versus they've trailed by the most points this year among all teams, including the Jets. I actually just found this out yesterday, but they're the only team that hasn't run an offensive play with a lead of seven points or more. Like, they literally haven't run an offensive play, <laughs> went up by a touchdown. And they're the only team in the league that hasn't done that. And so chances are they're going to be in a ton of negative game trips again. And so even though I could definitely see James Robinson being the game plan to kind of get him the ball and run the ball through him, like at a certain point when you're down 10 or 14 points, you're going to need to pass. And so I think by the third or fourth quarter, Len will be dropping back almost every play, which will makes over 20 yards or over 20 attempts and 120 yards. Yeah. No, and I, I, I agree with a lot what you said. I, I think the Jaguars are going to be somewhat – they're not going to change much in their scheme. Their scheme's already kind of, you know, for – I wouldn't say quick-hitting passes because some of the routes take a little bit to develop, but a lot of shorter routes and a lot of intermediate routes. So I think they're going to be conservative with them. I think that they're going to feed James Robinson even if it's not working. I, I think even if he's getting two yards a pop, they're going to – Keep going back to that. Uh, I, I'm not going to say I think DJ Chark's finally going to get some shorter, easier targets because, he, he, you know, he's only averaging seven yards after a catch per game right now. That is amazing to me. <laughs> that You know, one of your best yards after the catch guy, they're not putting him in a position to do it. I think that'd be a great way to help Luton, especially early on. But I wouldn't expect it. I would go about with what you said. I'm expecting him to be really conservative myself. I think he's going to struggle with Houston's uh, front seven, mostly because no matter when Houston's pass rush isn't that good, they always have a good day against the Jaguars' offensive line. It done Whitney Merciless and J.J. Watt, they can be in the biggest ruts of the season, and they turn it on against the Jaguars. It's wild, but it happens every single year. So I'm expecting there to be a decent amount of pressure. And, I mean, I was on the uh, Texans press conference with Romeo Cornell yesterday to ask a question about Luton. And, some uh, Texans media member basically like asked, okay, what can the defense do to kind of, you know, kind of throw him off his game? And he literally basically said, uh, get JJ Watt to <laughs> hit him a few times. And I think that's accurate. So we'll see what happens. I will like to, well, actually you on two things, Gus, the Jaguars did run an offensive play. They kneeled, went up 27 to 20 against the Colts. I know that because Colin Johnson did a backflip. Just, yeah, just, just, just kidding. We, we, don't, we don't count Niels as offensive plays in this household. No. And then um, what, what was it? And my friend, Gus, you're my friend. I care for you. It is Luton. <laughs> Jake Luton. Yeah, last week on last week's pod, I'm pretty sure I kept saying Lofton just because the, <laughs> the CBS, crew, CBS crew is living rent-free in my head from all of those <laughs> 1 o'clock games. So, yeah, on Twitter, I've been calling him Jake Luton. Yeah, no. Nah. It's, one day one day I'll get it right. It's a great bit. Lean into it. Lean into it. No, I, I can't blame you, man. I feel like Lofton's called every Jaguar game for the last like, four years. He has some kind of like lifetime contract that ties into Doug Marone games or whatever. All right. Um, real quick, Gus, you know, the biggest storyline of this game is obviously the quarterback. Do you think that the Jaguars have a chance to sneak a win out of this game? And if they do – and say say they beat Houston and Luden plays okay. You know, he's not really the reason they won, but he didn't put them in any danger of losing. Do you 
keep starting him until he is the reason that they lose? They're, like, if he wins against the Texans, which no one is going to expect, both locally and nationally, then it's almost a no-brainer. Even if Gardner then has, like, a fully healthy thumb, I feel like Len would deserve it, even if he doesn't even have that good of a game. A win is a win, and that's what people care about. And so I'd be pretty shocked if he won against Houston yeah. and then didn't start the following week. I think it had to be a Cody Kessler-type performance, like when they beat the Colts 6-0, and I think it was like 4.1 adjusted yard for attempt or something terrible like that. Uh, I, I, I'd agree with you. I think until Luden loses uh, that he's going to be the quarterback, but that uh, very well or could likely be this week. Though it also needs to be pointed out, um, a terrible host and reporter, because I should have mentioned this at the top of the show, but the Texans closed their facilities on, you know, today, recording Thursday, due to a positive COVID-19 test. We'll keep you updated with any changes uh, to that game. Uh, currently don't know how that obviously would impact uh, Houston traveling and playing Jacksonville this Sunday. But they have facilities are closed right now, and they're working virtually due to a positive test. Neither team can really alter its schedule much because both teams had their bye weeks last week. So we'll keep track of that. You know, obviously you get a positive test just a few days before game. That's worth monitoring. But I think the Jaguars, when they had their positive practice squad test, that was even closer to game day than uh, this is. So we'll monitor that. Uh, Gus, give me a score prediction. Jaguars-Houston. 28 I am going to go 17-9 Texans. I think it's going to be – I think it's going to be an ugly game. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I didn't even say who I thought was going to win, but I think it's obvious that the Texans are going to win. And to your point um, that you were saying earlier about, like, Lenton kind of squeezing out a win, even though we did say last pod that this is probably the week that is most winnable for the Jaguars just because the Texans are probably the worst team remaining on the schedule. At the same time, quarterbacks is what wins the majority of games in Watson versus Luton is yeah. maybe the biggest mismatch. Yeah. And so Todd Walsh would have to have like the best game planning and game managing of his career in order to throw Watson off for us to squeak out a win. And that doesn't really seem likely based on Walsh and Watson's past. So, oh, Y'all heard it here first. Uh, Jaguars coming out with the 85 Bears defense and Dick uh, Labu at defensive coordinator this weekend, according to Gus Logue. <laughs> now I'm, 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 I'm with you guys. I think that there's a realistic scenario. I'm not going to say how realistic because it's pretty minimal, but a realistic scenario where the Jaguars do win because I just said a minute ago, they've beat the Colts and Andrew Luck with Cody Kessler at quarterback. So we've, we've seen crazy things. I mean, we saw the text, we saw Washington. I mean, Jay Gruden, it was actually hilarious, Gus, uh, during uh, Wednesday's press conference with Jay Gruden, uh, somebody asked him if he's ever had to turn to a backup quarterback on short notice like this. And he, the last time, he was like, yeah, it was Josh Johnson versus Jacksonville. <laughs> uh, he, with Johnson's first uh, NFL wins and first start, I think, since 2011 and his first NFL win. And he came in here and beat the Jaguars. It was hilarious to me that the first thing Gruden could think of was that uh, – I think that there's a scenario like like that where the Jaguars can beat Houston. I think if they can force Watson into some turnovers like they did last game and if they can lean on Robinson. But I think Robinson and the offensive line are key to this game because in week five against Houston, the Jaguars couldn't run the ball because Houston won up front. If the Jaguars cannot win up front this week and cannot run the ball and have to lean on Luton, I think they'll lose by several scores. Uh, I know it's kind of a tired cliche, you know, 
uh, lean on your running game. Don't ask your quarterback to do too much. But I think it's the reality of this week for the Jaguars. While I do fully expect the Texans to win, it certainly isn't impossible. And we saw something like that in week one against the Colts, where the Colts are inarguably a better team than the Jaguars are, but the Jaguars Mm -hmm. still won. And they got some help from turnover luck and for winning the turnover battle and then getting a couple like fourth down stops. And so it's very possible that the Jaguars can win, especially since, like we said, Texans are probably the worst team to play for the rest of the season. It's just that if we play the game 10 times, they'll probably win maybe one or two times, but that still gives them a chance and it definitely wouldn't be a shock. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, well, Gus, uh, I mean, that, that's all the all the topics I have, uh, you know, as we prepare for Jake Luton to make his momentous NFL debut against the Houston Texans. The 1-6 and six Jaguars and the 1-6 Texans in Jacksonville this weekend. Make sure, uh, you know, not to miss it. Jaguar Report uh, will obviously be there to cover uh, the game. Gus, before we go, I like to do this every episode. Do you have any hot takes? I'll go ahead and start it off while you think of one. My hot take... And I don't even think this should be a hot take in any sense of the word. And this isn't even Jaguars related. My hot take is the Giants need to be spent, the New York Giants need to spend every Saturday possible this fall scouting quarterbacks. So I guess this is Jaguars related. I think Daniel Jones throws worse interceptions than Blake Bortles ever did. I mean, some of those interceptions on Monday Night Football were worse than throwing it off, uh, you know, your own teammates' feet. I'm Dan, Daniel Jones, I, uh, I think the Jaguars should be seriously worried about the Giants getting a quarterback over them. So that that's my hot take. Daniel Jones throws worse interceptions than Blake Bortles. Yeah, I'll stamp my name on that one. <laughs> that is a pretty hot take. Bortles, I mean, Jones is not good, but Bortles has thrown some interesting ones over the years. The one against Yeldon's foot just yeah. – I'll never I, forget. And I, I, I would agree with you, but after – within like a 20-minute – period of time Jones threw two different interceptions that looked the exact same while getting sacked for no reason it's it's close man I'm leaning but all right go ahead what you got a hot take for me yeah so my hot take is that Derek Thomas currently has an NFL record for sacks in a single game seven which was in 1998 or no 1990 and so my hot take is that JJ Watt gets eight really (laughs) I mean Luton's not mobile, and Watt had a good game against Jawan Taylor last time. Eight sacks, man. I can't even get that in Madden. I mean, that, that's more sacks than the Jaguars have this season, isn't it? Yeah, that is that, that is a hot take. Wow, that, I think that's the best hot take we've, we've had this year, Gus. There you go. Go ahead and frame that hot take and put it, put it on, the, on the wall or tape it to the fridge or something. That was a good one. Bring in the heat. All right, y'all. Uh, thank, you, thank you guys again for listening. Uh, appreciate it. You can follow us at Jaguar Report or si.com slash Jaguars. I'm John Shipley. You can follow me at underscore John underscore Shipley. Gus, you got anything else to say before we log off? Uh, I'll just say that even though this may not be an entertaining game, it'll be interesting to watch just for the sake that I think it'll be a very good quarterback evaluation for both Luton and Minshew. Based on Luton's performance, assuming that the scheme doesn't change a ton, I think how he performs will be a big indicator both of how he is as a quarterback and how Minshew is as a quarterback in the same scheme situation. And so that's kind of what I'll be looking for. But you can go follow me or subtweet me on Twitter at Gus underscore Logue. Appreciate it. And thank you guys again for listening. Uh, We'll see you all next week.